Welcome to the 424th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thanks for listening. Well, I'm going to start with what I've been eating. Um, fruit I'm eating. I'm always talking about eating predominantly fruit for breakfast. I eat a fair amount of fruit. It takes care of my sweet tooth. For some reason, watermelon has been really good um, all winter long down here in Florida. So that's been nice to be able to have that. It's one of my favorite fruits. Papayas are also something that grow really quick down here. Um, unfortunately, Hurricane Ian took most of our trees. We had one left um, that has kind of kicked the kick the can down the road, so we're having to start with new papayas, but the stores have them, so um, that's where I'm getting my papayas, as well as mangoes right now. Mangoes are coming from Mexico, but they've been really, really good, low fiber, so I really, really like those. Um, always bananas in the mix, blueberries that are in the mix, um, and I get yellow dragon fruit. Uh, we have those in the grocery store here, and I also order them from a uh, wholesaler called Miami Fruit that have a lot of different tropical fruits. Sometimes I can get up to a local farmer's market and they have mame sapota. Um, they even have um, fresh cacao. If you've never had a cacao bean uh, and tried that fruit, it's a really cool fruit to try. You open it up, uh, it's really red and oblong. You can Google it, but you eat the pods and it tastes just like dark chocolate. Um, so that's that's pretty good, and um, so that's it's pretty much. I usually have uh, some chia seeds with those, and I alternate between a little bit of uh, oats sometimes, and or an almond milk based yogurt, uh, just kind of as a topper to mix in with my chia seeds, and then I usually have a piece of sourdough toast depending on uh, what my workout is or was that morning. Typically, I don't do much before I go run. I may have a little bit of a bite of a bar or something uh, and a cup of coffee, and then I go go run pretty close after that. So I'll get up and do a little work and then um, go for a run and come home and have breakfast. I am one for getting meals on the table in about 30 minutes during the week. I don't like to full in the kitchen all evening long. There's usually something else I have planned. I like to do my strength workouts in the evening, like to stretch in the evening, sometimes do yard yard chores now that we have sprung forward. Um, so I usually do recipes that I can get on the table um, fairly quickly uh, during the week, but on the weekend I like to try a new recipe. And so Michael brought a katsu curry recipe that we uh, tweaked a little bit to try this weekend. The problem was that Saturday we got to be doing chores, and so I didn't get started in the kitchen till late, and that kind of puts a little stressor on things when you're kind of trying a new recipe and you're kind of tired from doing the day's uh, chores. And we kind of had a variety of different vegetables that we wanted to do, so we ended up doing butternut squash and sweet potatoes and zucchini and tofu and bok choy, and um, so it was quite a quite a bit of prep. Um, and then, but the katsu curry, you know, it was a curry that had you know every Indian spice in the drawer for the most part: uh, clove, ginger, anise, curry powder, soy sauce, turmeric, coriander, cardamom, nutmeg fenugreek seeds, a little bit of cinnamon, cumin, chilies, 
Um, so you can see that uh, was, in the sauce, we uh, thickened it with uh, some rice flour and then coated the vegetables. I sliced them long ways, about a quarter inch thick, and coated them with the curry sauce and then dipped them in a combination of panko and cauliflower uh, crumb and uh, put and roasted them um, in the air fryer at 350 for, you know, 20 minutes until they were, you know, soft. I actually did the sweet potato and the butternut squash in the microwave a little bit before to speed up that process. Um, and then had that with more of the more of the sauce and the greens. I sauteed the greens. And so it was actually a really good meal. Turned out to be great because we had so many vegetables that I was able to repurpose them on Sunday after working out in the yard all day long. And do we did crabless cakes with uh, artichoke hearts and um, hearts of palm, pepper, and um, a little bit of uh, vital wheat gluten to hold things together. And so that was our dinner on Sunday. So a lot of work on Saturday night, but turned out to make Sunday a lot easier. I like to do that during the week. If I can do one meal on maybe a Monday night and have the same meal, maybe change it up just a little different on Thursday, then that keeps me from cooking. You know, again, it eases things up uh, to have a, a kind of a do-over or a must-go, as we call them, uh, one of the nights. So it, it, I usually pick a night that's a little bit more busy and we do something really, really simple. So something to think about uh, when you're trying to menu plan for the week is, you know, what can you repurpose? What can you use? I do a lot of leftovers for lunch if I'm not going to do a big salad. I kind of oscillate. I really do like my giant salad for lunch best of all, but uh, I hate to waste food, and uh, so I'm usually the guy eating the leftovers. Training. Um, Brazo's 50-mile race is um, end of March, 1st of April, that weekend. So we're coming upon that. So peak week this weekend is ramping up the training and then we'll taper back down a little bit and do that race and then it is full speed ahead for Leadville 50 training in July and I've actually kind of started um, my Leadville training um, I'll call it officially started this week I've added a mile um, for starters walking in the morning before I go out for the run with Sophie so I do a mile with the treadmill up at a high as it'll go uh, and trying to beat my time uh, and do that uh, time every day. So I'm going to eventually simulate going up Hope Pass, adding more and more uh, mileage to that each week. Um, also, I have stairs in my house, so up and down the stairs with uh, weights um, to try to get some downhill feel. Uh, tire pull is still in the mix a couple days a week. And um, I'm trying to look at my pace with the tire pull to increase that pace. And then a variety of other weight training uh, step-ups, hex bar, squats, and so forth. The idea is not to get injured and to make it to the start line in good shape. So that's, that's what I'm after, I'm trying to do my mobility. We're doing mobility in class, a mobility class in our office on Mondays. So that's um, another way to cheat and get a little bit of stretching in. Uh, on Monday morning, and so that, that kind of makes it nice as well. So usually there's a theme of the week for some reason in my office, and the theme of the week this week is um, no support, can't find my people. And, you know, I played this tune over and over on the podcast in, in different ways. Um, basically, you know, who are your people, you know, who are your motivators, 
um, and to look for those early adopters. But, um, you know, sometimes people just don't have anybody that they can see and everybody they see around them is kind of trying, not really trying to derail them, but they're allowing themselves to be derailed uh, by the people around them. And again, you know, when there's a, a very large number of people or most of your time is spent around people that don't have similar health values or exercise values that, that you do, it's, it's hard to stay on, on track. But I kind of started thinking about what it compares to. And, you know, the reason why I talk about running a lot on the podcast is I do think that marathon running and ultra running is um, a lot like life and mimics life. And you have to troubleshoot quite a bit. When I first started running, um, you know, as the story goes, uh, my nurse and I went to hear about this um, marathon in, in Rome, Italy, and how you could raise money for the American Diabetes Association and go on this trip and run the marathon, raise money for them. And so I was all in when we got back into the car and my nurse didn't want anything to do with it. She's like, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard of. I don't want to do it. We don't have time. You're just starting. The practice is just getting up and running. And, um, um, you know, we don't have time. But I, I was, you know, I was all in. I wanted to do it. And I never really thought about running a marathon until that card came into the mail. And so I went and bought a book. I didn't know anybody that run, that ran. Um, and I kind of went to Books A Million and, you know, picked up a book about time. A woman wrote the book. Uh, and it was running for time as opposed to mileage. And I just followed the book. And they were supposed to give us a coach to help us with the training plans, but he had another job and he fizzled out really early on. And I actually had an injury at the time I had patellar tendonitis. And so I went to see a sports medicine doctor and the sports medicine doctor said, if you run, your knee's gonna hurt. So the best way not to have your knee hurt is to don't run. Well, that wasn't an option. And turns out a friend of the family was the trainer for the Buffalo Bills. And I called him up and said, like, hey, you know, I have this knee issue. Do you have any suggestions? And he told me about a guy that um, had moved to Florida that was a cross-country coach up at a little college in, in upstate New York and to get a hold of him to look at my running form. And they suggested that, you know, well, maybe, you know, it, it, I thought about, is there a running group in town that I could run with? So I looked up you know, running groups, and I found there's one running group in town at the time called Zoomers Running and Triathlon uh, Group, and the, it consists of about 10 people, and they met on Tuesday evening, and they would run and uh, run across the bridge, and everybody would meet up afterwards, and every, no, no man left behind, so to speak, so everybody would wait till the last guy finished, and the first time I ran with them, I was the last guy to finish. And so, so at least it gave me some people that run and I, you know, got a few tips from them. So I was starting to find my people. Um, the, the retired running coach looked at my form, said I was a heel striker, changed my form, and my knee, knee pain went away. Um, I never really was bothered with any kind of knee issues again. So the Zoomers were my first uh, people you know, uh, my little running group, and they would have a membership meeting once a month, and, you know, we'd kind of go sit, and, you know, sometimes you'd run beforehand, but it became, you know, um, somebody else that, I knew somebody else that ran, and after I did Rome Marathon, you know, I wanted to do more, 
but there wasn't many people doing marathons. So I just started signing up for marathons, and I figured sooner or later I'll meet people. Signed up for 5Ks and 10Ks locally and any place I could find them. And one thing led to the other, and I kept meeting my people. There wasn't anybody in my immediate family. Well, there wasn't anybody in my family. There wasn't anybody that I worked with that ran. Um, I had to go find my people and go look for them. And they're there. They're, you know, there's, it's, running is still not a huge sport in Port Charlotte, Florida. Um, there are some. And there's some you know, local races that you know, draws maybe 100 people, which is not very much. I rarely see anybody running when I run. But I have my people that, you know, I, when I go to races and so, and I look to podcasts and I, and I look to, um, you know, different, different social media uh, outlets to, to follow people and to see, to see what's going on. Um, and they become your people. And then you become uh, more and more comfortable with your people. I never asked anybody to run with me or to start, take up running. Um, because I wasn't going to convince anybody else. And I think that's where people go wrong when they try to change their nutrition. They're assuming that everybody around them is going to change or, and they'll get on board with them. And when they don't, they're disappointed and, and they lose hope. You got to find new people. You got to find people that are interested in the same thing that you do, or you find some sort of virtual group or some sort of outlet, whether you're, you know, different online groups that you can communicate with so that you can discuss your passion for being healthy and to eat plant-based. I learned about tropical fruit just going to a local market um, that sold, you know, I walked in because it was a kind of open-air market when I first went there and uh, I found all this tropical fruit that I knew nothing about. I hadn't even eaten a mango when I went there the first time and I asked the lady that was standing by the mangoes, how do you know when a mango's ripe? How do you know when, you know, so she educated me. Most people that have a passion about something are more than willing, as you may know, to talk to you about their passion, what, how they cook something, you know? So I asked Jamaican people how they cook things. I asked Indian people how they cook things. And, and you learn different cuisines for the people that really know how to do it. Uh, and they're happy to share, um, you know, their experiences with you. I hear people complain that they're tired of the same old thing, same old thing. But again, the choice is yours to go find something different. If you only eat oranges, bananas, and, uh, you know, uh, apples, then, you know, it's going to get boring eating fruit. I, I never liked fruit when I was up north because there was apples, banana, and oranges, and they weren't really that great most of the time. Um, but I found that I love tropical fruit and I can enjoy it here in Florida. I'm very lucky most of the year all, you know, around. And there's certain things that come into season, you know, more often, you know, or, or there's more variety at certain times of the year. And, and that's sort of what I gravitate to. You can't expect somebody else to take care of your health for you if you're not going to make an effort. So when I hear people say, I don't know what's in it, my wife made it or, you know, my husband made it or, um, you know, they just didn't know what was cooked or I wasn't aware, I got it at a restaurant, you know, I can't remember what I had. To me, that means people just aren't taking an interest in their own, in their own health. And I think with plant-based nutrition, especially if the person doing the cooking isn't plant-based, you have to make sure that you know what the ingredients are. So it's up to you to go buy the ingredients, uh, to make, you know, to participate in making it, making it as easy. If the person's going to take the time to cook for you, at least make the, the effort to make it as easy for them as possible to 
uh, cook for you or help them clean up, do something. Um, you know, it becomes an excuse. Well, I just, you know, um, so-and-so didn't cook for me, so I didn't have anything, so I did it this way. Um, or they were cooking something else, so I just decided to eat what they, they're eating. Um, that's really not on them. That's on you to um, decide you want to do something. You know, I wanted to run a marathon. I need to go out and get a book. If you want to be plant-based, you should read some books on how to cook. Everybody should know how to take care of themselves as far as cooking goes, because someday you may ultimately have to cook for yourself. And, you know, it is nice to cook for somebody on, on occasion, but um, the reality of it is everybody should be able to prepare their plant-based meals, and it can be very, very simple. Um, doesn't take much to cut up fruit. Um, if you're not proficient cutting up vegetables, well, it's time to learn. It's time to take time to, to figure out how to do that. And the more you do it, the easier it'll be. Watch a cooking video. Watch a cutting video. Um, there's ways to get around the kitchen and do prep very quickly. Um, but if you do the same old thing the same old way, you know, you can, you can, um, can still be miserable. So I saw a study um, reported this week that um, was somewhat disappointing. Um, I didn't get to read the entire gist of the whole paper, more of a synopsis uh, of the paper by a physician that was involved in it. But basically it was looking at the plaque in coronary arteries um, of a group of individuals um, both that were lifelong exercisers and that um, were, you know, regular, no, no specific exercise program um, type people. And what they reported in the study that, again, it was a little bit biased, it was questionnaire driven, was that when they started looking at the plaques and examined the coronary angiography, which are the angiograms of the arteries during a heart catheterization, they determined that the plaque um, looked pretty much the same, uh, whether you're a lifelong exerciser or um, somebody that didn't exercise. And so the conclusion was that um, despite exercise, vascular disease is about the same in everybody as they, as they age, and age was pretty much the risk factor that determined people's arteries. His conclusion was that um, mainly people that were lifelong exercisers, ultra runners, marathoners, um, they were just basically exercise addicts and they really weren't running for their health, they were just running because they were addicted to exercise. And to me that was spoken like a true medical nerd. <laughs> Um, you know, so that was a non-scientific conclusion that, to me, um, you know, decreased the paper's worth right then. I, I kind of chuckled because I've been called a health nut before by my nutritional choices, and it's like, oh, great, now I can be an exercise nut, too, um, because there's nothing you can do to really change your outcome in the eye of the beholder of this vascular study. But the reality of it, it has nothing to do with people's outcome. It's the pictures. Um, and it's the pictures with, ob with observers and not, does not necessarily translate to pathology, uh, pathological. So it was pictures, not actual specimens. So the validity of it was 
in question in the beginning, how they selected people was in question at the beginning. Um, and there was no outcomes, you know. So we know people that are lifelong exercisers tend to live better and longer than people that don't exercise. So if they have all this vascular disease and they have ugly pictures, it doesn't seem to be affecting their longevity. And he even, he even admitted that uh, in, in the paper. And, you know, again, I think it, it uh, dissuades people from doing things or exercising and trying to get better when, you know, again, um, a physician is, you know, it's like, well, there's nothing you can do. You know, you're just going to get old and your blood vessels are going to clog up and there's nothing you can really do. Here, take this medication. It might help you a little bit, but chances are it's genetics and, you know, you're, you're kind of done for. I even met a person this week that um, had terrible arteries and lots of stents and um, the doctor decided after he couldn't put any more stents in that he wanted to do a bypass on the patient and the patient decided to go plant-based and it's been over a year uh, since he's had any chest discomfort and his doctor just said, well, you're, you're an abnormal case and, you know, I guess you'll come back when you have symptoms. It wasn't like, what are you doing or this is really working or, you, you know, his stress test had reverted back to being normal um, you know, no pats on the back, no, no signs of encouragement, no, this is how we're going to make sure everything's okay. Um, just keep taking, you know, here's your medicine, you take these cholesterol medicines and you drive your cholesterol as low as you can and, and we'll hope for the best. So it's, you know, to me it was a study of looking at pictures and um, pictures that aren't, don't really correlate with anything else but just bad-looking pictures like arthritis in knees that don't hurt or bone spurs in feet that don't hurt. The pictures are not pretty, but they don't necessarily mean something bad's going to happen. I don't think anybody listening to my podcast denies or expects not to have any aging uh, with regards to, you know, your skin doesn't look like it did, uh, your hair doesn't look like it did, your waist size might not be exactly like it is, or maybe it's better, you can change that, obviously. You may not be as mobile and as uh, bendable as you were. Um, there are things that happen as we age that um, happen to some people quicker than others, um, but nevertheless, they do tend to happen. The question is, can you slow the aging process can you reverse it a little bit? I obviously believe that you can slow the progression of aging um, if you start early enough significantly, and the more you do, the better off you'll be, and the better health span that you will be. So maybe you won't live to be 120, but if you live to be 90 and you're living independently, to me, that's a win. So you have to decide what is a win for you. Certainly, the results of that study did not discourage me from going out and running and doing ultra runs because my goal is to be able to run as long as I possibly can and have a good health span. I liken that to, um, you know, people that have a car. My dad used to have his weekday vehicles and then he had a special car and the special car sat in the garage. And this, the car was so special that it never got drove. You know, we used to say it went to funerals and weddings and um, occasionally out to dinner. But 
for the most part, it just got washed and put back in the garage, washed and put back in the garage. And eventually he would sell the car to someone um, at a much lower price than he paid for it because it became an old car in the garage. And occasionally things went bad on the car because it never moved. And I, I think people are a lot like that. Um, we depend on movement to keep our bodies active and flow and blood flow. There's only one way to, you know, when we cease to move, things get stiff. When there's no blood flow to places, um, it starts to die. So when we're very sedentary and try to maybe save heartbeats, uh, keep your heart rate low, don't move because you're afraid to hurt your knees, um, I think you become stiff. I think that, you know, when you exercise, you increase blood flow to muscles, brain, organs, and then you allow, then you able your body to collect metabolic waste and take it back to your liver to get rid of. You de ultimately decrease inflammation. Um, and again, the more flow you have down the river, the less likely debris is going to uh, going to collect on the sides. Meaning that if you have arteries that have a bunch of plaque in it, but the flow is very low, it's more likely to clog off completely than it would be if the flow is high. The way you can, and then it's been proven uh, when people have a bypass that they really didn't need in certain vessels. So if the blood flow is um, somewhat impaired but not terribly impaired, and they go ahead and there's a bypass of an artery that's not terrible, there's what we call competitive blood flow, and there's blood flow down the old artery and blood flow down the bypass part of the artery, and the artery that has the most flow is the one that wins and the bypass graft ultimately clogs off. So sometimes people have bypasses and they clot off immediately because they really didn't need a bypass in the first place. And in the guy I talked to this week, if he were to get a bypass over arteries that were stented, it may be such that the flow down his arteries, his native arteries would be better than his bypassed arteries and ultimately it wouldn't work anyway. So if we can increase blood flow by exercise, seems to me that's a great, uh, great way of handling a lot of our problems. We've also seen similar thing with brain MRI. Sometimes the, there's a lot of uh, disease appearing changes in the brain, but the person functions pretty well. Um, sometimes people get an MRI of their head and things are found that they didn't have any symptoms from and because they're abnormal, um, a surgery is performed and the person's worse off than they were. So, you know, one of the biggest problems with medicine today is we don't take time to talk to the people and see whether or not the benefits of treating a picture is going to outweigh the risk of making the picture a little bit better. Add the fear factor in and everybody's signing up for something. What about if things are really, really serious? What about if you have early Alzheimer's or you have cancer currently? Um, or you have terrible vascular disease, is it too late to make changes? And is it worth making those changes? Those are ob obviously personal decisions, but I still believe that your input can make your quality of life much better um, in, in some of your choices. And taking the fear factor out and putting the, I have some control of what I choose, makes quality of life much better. And perhaps your legacy um, better as far as 
despite the odds, this person was able to do this and subsequently helped other people have hope and, you know, try nutritional change, try exercise, try a positive mental attitude. So I think there's always something that can benefit the individual, but possibly in, benefit other people as well. The beauty of aggressive nutritional change as, as in a whole food plant-based diet with heavy reliance on vegetables and greens and fruit and exercise um, is that there's really no downside to it. Uh, there's no big side effects. There's no back-end problem or complications that you have to deal with or that cause a whole nother set of, of issues. When someone is sedentary and they're also eating a bad diet, you can imagine that, you know, the blood flow to organs is decreased, slowed, joints aren't moving, accumulation of metabolic waste far exceeds that person's ability to clear it from their system because the blood flow is low and their health span declines much quicker. I find it funny that people are worried about exercising too much, but they're never worried about getting enough fruits and vegetables. The majority of Americans don't meet the basic four servings of fruits and vegetables every day. It drives me insane on podcasts to hear about the beetroot powders and the powdered greens for people that are just too busy to cook for themselves. And they're looking for all kinds of hacks to follow their blood sugar and, and uh, watch their carbohydrate intake, but they can't manage to cook for themselves, which is one of the most important things that they could possibly do. Um, you know, the thought that very well-educated people think that powders are a good substitute for whole foods is beyond me. As a matter of fact, there was a study that just came out looking at uh, accumulation of muscle in um, young adult population based on the intake of vegetable protein versus uh, animal protein, and it was a wash. Uh, so again, uh, the nine essential amino acids are in every fruit and vegetable. So even a banana has all nine essential amino acids, just not in the proportion that they are in skeletal muscle of an animal or a mammal. So if you eat a bunch of bananas, you'll eventually get all the nine essential amino acids that you need and your body needs to use to eating a wide variety of colorful fruits and vegetables. You're, you're, you're certainly going to uh, achieve that. If you want more protein in your diet, you eat more calories and you'll get more protein because in typical fruit and vegetable diet, it's 10 to 15% protein, so the more calories you eat, the more protein that you will get. There are some amino acids uh, that are lower in percentage, some um, in plant-based foods in general, but they also appear to be some of the amino acids that are associated with more cancer stimulation and more abnormal cell growth. So there is a drawback to eating too much protein animal protein and getting too many um, of certain kinds of amino acids. That's one of the benefits of eating a plant-based diet. I think the person that looked at the study with the um, lifetime ultra running population and the plaques in their arteries should go to an ultra event or a marathon and talk to the people there. Um, 
like I talked about last week with the Treasure Coast Marathon, it is a very positive group of people. It's a passionate group of people that enjoy pushing themselves to limits that and testing their limits to see what they're made of. And there's such a feeling of joy and satisfaction when you achieve something that you had to really try for, dig deep, um, uh, and experience that um, I, I don't think that that can necessarily be replaced. I grew up as a golfer, and certainly I was passionate about golfing when I golfed, but I didn't see that kind of passion about golf that people had. They usually played golf and then went inside afterwards to have a drink or lunch, and the golf game was over. Um, other than a few funny stories that people would have. Um, so maybe you play a, you know, I, I encourage anybody to play a sport or to go out and play because being outdoors encourages positive behavior and movement and, and blood flow. But I, I really do think that um, the running community has it uh, when it comes to learning to troubleshoot life's challenges when things don't go just right um, but also finding the joy in, in suffering to some degree uh, when uh, you're really pushing your limits and, and know that you're um, capable of doing things that you didn't think you're capable of. It gives you confidence in other aspects of your life to do things that may be a little bit more challenging and go outside your comfort zone, perhaps. So uh, I'm still encouraging people to run uh, and run long as much as they can. Um, Obviously, check with your doctor to make sure you're in good physical condition and that you don't need to alter your diet and your um, cellular waste before you get going on a, an extreme basis. But I think it's a, a certainly a very healthy exercise. Certainly start walking. People sometimes decide they're going to run and they just go out and um, kind of hit the pavement as hard as they can and get injured. And that's, that's you know, really it very quickly. If you haven't been a runner, uh, it takes baby steps, um, little short bouts, run, walk, run method, or some short bout to your little muscles and tendons can, uh, and, you know, catch up with the rest of you. There's also a training effect of your heart, so uh, keeping your heart rate under control is a very good idea. Um, I'm a big advocate of some sort of heart rate monitoring device when exercising so that you can keep your heart rate from getting too high so you can actually train your cardiovascular system in a in a good way um, this podcast is by no means an exercise prescription for people to go out and do um, but typically um, determining what your maximum heart rate is is someplace around 220 minus your age that is very variable from individual to individual. There's some people that can get a higher heart, higher heart rate than that, and some people that can't get to that heart rate. Um, but that would be a maximum heart rate that you shouldn't exercise at, at a regular basis. So it's down to 65, 75% of that most of the time. But again, there are ways to determine that individually so that you exercise within a good heart range so that you can train your heart, increase flow to your tissues, but not so much that you generate um, you know, more problems than you're trying to eliminate. So don't go out and ramp up too fast uh, in, in some endurance sport uh, before, you know, you, you get yourself in good cardiovascular shape. Life's a marathon. There are ups and downs, and you have to tweak your 
training program. You have to tweak uh, how you go about your nutrition and find out what works for you and continue to get a little bit better every day. Uh, I tell people in the office, you know, the road to recovery is not a straight line. There's ups and downs along the way, but we have to learn to enjoy the journey and remain positive uh, as we're on, on that journey and enjoy the company of others and enjoy the beauty of the outside. If you'd like to learn more about our approach to improving people's health span, um, go over to the website, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and check out the website, what we have to offer. Uh, we have a variety of levels as far as a membership go. Um, you can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. It's J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. Uh, love to hear from you and um, tell me about your journey. Enjoy your health and don't worry about the pictures. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.